Doctor Who Pod Shop. Okay, well, let's do it now. I <laughs> you know, whatever it is, if it's valuable, send it to us. <laughs> <laughs> For the best in all things Doctor Who, it's Doctor Who Podshock, the podcast all about Doctor Who, the longest-running science fiction television program with Louis Trapani. Hello. Ken Deep. Hello. James Norton. Hello. News. Fabulous. Reviews. Oh, no. And fan mail for James. Uh, 40,000. Doctor Who Podshock from the Gallifrey Embassy and Outpost Gallifrey. You know, that guy James was really cool. Oh, yeah. Who blew that? I'm the Doctor. And who are you? And who are you? Outpost Gallifrey presents Doctor Who Podshock. It was on the planet Skaro that my old enemy, the Master, was finally put on trial. They say he listened calmly as his list of evil crimes was read and sentence passed. Then he made his last and I thought somewhat curious request. He demanded that I, the Doctor, a rival Time Lord, should take his remains back to our home planet, Gallifrey. It was a request they should never have granted. The Time Lord has 13 lives, and the Master had used all of his. But rules never meant much to him. So, I stowed his remains safely for the voyage back. Because even in death, I couldn't trust him. Two hearts? One bullet went straight through his shoulder. No damage. The other two were in his left leg. Look! Two hearts! What? As if... Time. What is it? Something's happening. Okay. Something's happening. Okay. Something's happening. Oh my God. Oh my God. I know who I am. <laughs> I am the doctor. God. Now do that again. Oh, nice landing, Doctor. Why, is it, where are we? Halfway up a mountain, again. Do you need a license to fly that thing, or do you just make it up as you... Apparently the year's 2589. Oh. Little help here. Where did that net come from? It's more of a web, actually, and it's just shot out at me. How many times have I told you not to go herring out of the TARDIS before checking what's outside? I don't think you've ever told me that. Well, let this be a lesson to you. Yeah, it'll be easy for me to put that lesson to you if you get me out of this thing. Oh, God. More monsters. We get them everywhere we go. Didn't they see us coming? Maybe I'm just good at finding them. <laughs> Come on. Long way back to the TARDIS. Maybe you're scarier than the monsters. Doctor Who, Podshock, episode 106, The Eighth Doctor, The Paul McGann Error. Uh, joining me in today's podcast, this is Louis Trapani, but joining me is our co-host, uh, Ken, Mr. Ken Deep. Hello. Hey, Ken. Howdy. How are you today? I'm swell. I'm looking forward to discussing the Paul McGann years, one of my uh, favorite doctors, actually. Well, it should be um, it should be an interesting show. Uh, with us also is Dave AC. 
Mr. Dave Cooper from Manchester, UK. Yes, I'm holding up the UKN this week. Hopefully James will join us later, though. Well, we're thankful for that, Dave. Your participation is always appreciative, and um, those have uh, great stuff to offer for us. Yeah, we are hoping that, that as Dave just mentioned, James is sort of um, missing in action right now. Hopefully he'll be joining us. Um, if, if not, um, I'm sure he'll be with us next week. Or um, Please um, address your concerns to james at gallifreyandembassy.org. <laughs> you know, whip him with a wet noodle. Get him, get his, he needs to get his um, acting gear here. All right, well, enough about James. We're here about, we're talking about the eighth doctor, the Paul McGann error. And some of you may be wondering, how can it be an error? There was only one television episode, if you will, the TV video movie from 1996. Well, the Paul McGann error really encompasses more than just that, because yes, that was the only televised story um, so far. <laughs> so holding out hope that maybe he'll come back in the new series and somehow that, you know, uh, fill in in a Dr. Light episode as I keep on campaigning, you know, instead of having these one episodes of Dr. Lights, just bring back Paul McGann as an eighth Doctor flashback story. And somehow um, it won't be a Dr. Light episode, but the current Doctor, David Tennant, or whoever that current Doctor may be, can go off and um, be um, shooting another story. But I'm not going to hold my breath. But in the meantime, uh, Paul McGann has recorded a, a large, um, a, a breadth of um, Doctor Who stories in audio, and that's available on Big Finish, also on uh, BBC Radio 7, uh, transmitted um, a whole series, a whole season, if you will, of, um, of stories um, th that had a, over, had a whole arch over it, a story arc over it, rather. And um, it's, it's great material, and it shouldn't be overlooked. And we really recommend, if you haven't listened to some of these Paul McGann audio adventures, to really give a listen to it. And it's also be noticed there's a webcast as well of the Paul, uh, there's at least one or two um, Paul McGann webcasts, I believe. So um, check those out. And um, so getting to the Eighth Doctor, we all know who, um, it was... Um, the 1996 movie that introduced the Eighth Doctor, which was sort of controversial, only in the fact that it was a joint effort between the BBC and um, and um, some American companies, and um, it was shot in Canada, so it was kind of had a little mix of everything in there. And um, but for the most part, were, there were some times where it may have strayed off the the proven path, if you will, of Doctor Who. They went off in some new areas, but it stayed on base well enough or um, close enough to really carry over the um, the tradition, if you will. And I think the selection, the casting of Paul McCann, you couldn't ask for um, a better casting decision. I think he really fills the role, and he is the Doctor. I think he encompasses everything of what makes the Doctor the Doctor, and um, I think he does a wonderful job with it. And... I think one of the things I cherish most about Paul McGann's portrayal of the Doctor is his enthusiasm. It's it always amazes me how you know it, it just he carries it in his voice, and that's why it's, these audio adventures has that element as well, and that um, childlike um, sense of wonder that the Doctor has. It's I think it really exemplifies Paul McGann's portrayal of the Doctor that that quality of the Doctor and um, that enthusiasm really comes through. Um, I think his look is also very um, 
doctorish as well. They really they, they went back to this whole Victorian sense of um, style where previously to him we had uh, Sylvester McCoy as the seventh doctor and um, um, Colin Baker as the sixth and we had uh, Peter Dave obviously I'm not going to go back but but they kind of steered away from that whole that that Victorian style that kind of started off you know with with uh, William Hartnell and um, you can argue that you know they went off with it you know once the second doctor came in but um, it I, I, again, I think um, he just brought back, you know, we had, I think we strayed a little bit too far off in the Doctor's look, perhaps, it could be argued, especially in the later years of the classic series. And um, and I think Paul McGann's um, um, style really brings it back to where it was. I'm going to hand this off to Ken, and I, I think, you know, I have more opinions and more to say, but um, I think this really qualifies as a, a collaborative discussion. Well, I, I I tend to agree with many of the things you say, and you and I uh, many times in the past have been on the same page about our feelings about Doctor Who and, and the way things go. And, and I agree with you that uh, pretty much the it, I think there's a, a consensus that that Paul McGann was a fine choice to play the Doctor, and I think just about everybody agrees that we just simply didn't get enough of him, and, and he was. Uh, he left us hungering for more, especially at that time that we were a few years removed from the permanent hiatus that became the end of the Sylvester McCoy era. And uh, in hindsight, looking back on it, till we we reached the Russell T Davies era, there's it's just there's one little island of Doctor Who in there in 1996 with the Paul McCann movie. So. There definitely was a hunger for more Doctor Who, and that sort of um, that was like a tease to us. We had Doctor Who for a second, and it looked and it felt like Doctor Who, but and then it just stopped. Yeah, it, that, that, I, I, many people believe it was sort of a pilot for uh, a relaunch of the series, but I never really felt that way. I never really felt that that this show, that this particular movie, The Enemy Within, as, it, as sometimes it's, it's referred to as. Um, that it ever really set itself up to be a pilot. It always seemed like a movie, like a, a movie of the week kind of thing. And uh, I, I applaud Philip Siegel for for trying to keep as much continuity as he can, as he could. And he fought time and time again to keep certain things in the show and to keep it Doctor Who. Uh, you know, some people took him to task with some of the other things that they attempted in the movie, the, the kiss and the half-human bit and some of the things that were revealed in the movie. Um, he was he was walking a line between American network television idiots uh, and Doctor Who history. And I think he, he did his best to blend what needed to be in a Doctor Who movie. And he delivered... Some of the things that network television executives, with their with their, you know, short-sighted thinking, they needed a well-known bad guy, and, you know, a motorcycle chase in it, and, and and all the things that you need to have in in American television, because we're really not capable of thinking outside the box in the United States. And I think that's probably the the first mistake was trying to make it a joint venture. I think most American Doctor Who fans, well, most most Doctor Who fans outside of the UK 
believe that the Doctor and the show being British is part of its uniqueness, that there is something different about it. I know as, as an American fan, I like the fact that I didn't see the same old stuff that I could see on my television here in the States. It didn't. It looked different. It sounded different. The actors were different. It wasn't the same faces as we are used to on American television. There wasn't the same sets and the reused castle from Airwolf or the, you know, the car from Knight Rider or all these other things that that get rehashed on American television. It was something fresh. So I think the first mistake was trying to make it, trying to bring some U.S. influence into it. Uh, sure, the show became popular in the United States, but it became popular because it was British. Uh, I don't think they would ever attempt to make Monty Python in Hollywood. Uh, you know, if, if it's not British, it just doesn't work. Well, uh, getting back to, to, to Paul McGann, mm-hmm. the only place I, that I've ever seen um, any criticism of Paul McGann is one of the Doctor Who books, analysis kind of books, uh, called Who's Next?, the only one who really took Paul McGann to task, to my memory, which they they applauded um, Eric Roberts and kind of put down a bit uh, or, or came across very negative about Paul McGann. And uh, my personal take on Eric Roberts is they needed an American star and he did the best he could. And you know, um, I don't really think he uh, he exemplified what the master was, but. He did his thing with the role, and I'll accept it as is. But Paul McGann was a wonderful doctor. I agree with with Lewis when he said he had a nice enthusiasm, a bit of mystery. Uh, Paul McGann's um, an excellent actor, so he had this uh, uh, mystery behind his eyes, and yet the childlike curiosity that, that is essential in the doctor. And I and I agree with you that I really enjoyed his his costume. It was just a breath of fresh air to get away from the John Nathan Turner. Um, Russian uh, horse from hell costume uh, of of the late mid to late eighties. I also thought, uh, being said in the movie that that Sylvester McCoy was wonderful, and I wished we would have seen more of the Sylvester McCoy of the movie. And I know we discussed that in the Sylvester McCoy era uh, podcast that we did, but it, it really is worth saying again. I, I really, I enjoyed his portrayal in there as brief as it was. And, and saying that it's brief when you actually slice the movie up, uh, m- the movie without commercials is just over 90 minutes, which is exactly the same as a four part story would be in omnibus format. If you sliced it into quarters, Sylvester McCoy was in all of part one. So Paul again was the doctor for what amounted to three 25-minute episodes of Doctor Who. Uh, he he came to life in, in a spectacular regeneration. Uh, to that point, the most spectacular one I'd ever seen uh, until Eccleston into David Tennant, which really was a home run. And there's some light metaphors there with the, the walking out with the, the, the Christ-like uh, light behind him and the white sheets and the sort of resurrection thing, a little bit of a little flavor of that. The, 
the controversies, the kiss has now been deflated thanks to Russell, Russell T. Davies has now made the kiss the the second uh, the second most controversial thing in the movie. I think the most controversial thing since Russell T. Davies became the producer of the current show is now the half-human bit. Just, you well, know, I, the original thing was, oh my God, the doctor had a you know a kiss with a woman. This is this is just awful. Yeah, well, we've seen a bunch of that now. So. Yeah, well, we can debate whether that's good or bad as well. But um, I think the big finish series sort of um, ironed out some of the inconsistencies of the television movie. I, I think in the audio ventures, um, it's in a sense, it's it's more true to Doctor Who than maybe the movie was itself. But um, yeah. but I agree with you that the, the the movie itself stands on its own very much. It, it, like you said, it's almost like a, a TV movie of the week. But uh, to my understanding, Paul McGann was under contract for five years with, you know, with that, you know, hopefully they were at that option of picking up the series, um, you know, picking up that, you know, picking it up as a new series. And I agree with you that, yes, Doctor Who should be a British-made series, but at the time, we this is from 1989 to 1986, there was no new Doctor Who. And at this point, we would, <laughs> I think a lot of us fans were hungry for Doctor Who to come back, and uh, we would take you know, a uh, joint venture, if that's what it took to get Doctor Who back. But, yeah, preferably, we'd want it to be a UK-produced um, television series, as it always has been and, and should always be. Um, but, you know, we are, you know, consider that or the stalkness of no Doctor Who whatsoever, we would take, you know, we would try to take the whole well, half thing and kiss. Who and, may start, if anybody who may start uh, the criticism of, of the current show... Um, just keep in mind, if, you, if you're not sure whether they're getting it right these days, just take a look at the first attempt to relaunch Doctor Who and make it a modern budget and a modern production. And this movie is that example. And although it, it's, uh, it's, it's not deserving the criticism that's often fired at it, it's certainly far from the perfect Doctor Who. When you look at the current series, you see... When they when they relaunch the show, what getting it right is all about, and I really feel very strongly about the new series getting it right. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there was just an attempt to, oh wow, what if Doctor Who had a budget? What if Doctor Who could do this? What if Doctor Who could do that? Well, what if Doctor Who just kept to being Doctor Who? Uh, keep keep to what makes Doctor Who great. It doesn't it's not about special effects or budgets or getting Eric Roberts to play the master. It's about characters and stories and 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 idiosyncrasies and being eccentric and and um really Paul McGann himself is the one stabilizing factor in the Doctor Who movie. You take him out and the show is the, the movie is completely just an American telemovie. I think that his portrayal of the Doctor is the thing that makes it or brings it close to being Doctor Who. Um, and, I, and, and also being said, you, you were bringing up Big Finish. I adore him in the Big Finish, uh, the, the Big Finish audios, and some of the things they've done for uh, with Shada and the, the, uh, the BBC audios as well. It's a, it was a big gamble remaking Shada, and especially with a doctor that's not known for being 
a comedic doctor, um, you know, because Shada with Tom Baker was in the midst of the whole Douglas Adams funny Doctor Who era, and to go back and revisit that was a was a doctor that's not normally normally known for that was a big gamble. I think it worked. Um, again, that's another controversial subject. Some people don't think it did. Some people think that you know it, it just didn't deliver. I enjoyed it, and. I, and it's not the worst thing in the world. They they tried it. They they experimented with something to revisit a story and uh, throw it a bit of a curveball. I think it worked. I also think that the Paul McGann audios brought us an excellent companion. And again, just prior to Rose, who really reinvented what the companion is all about, um, Charlie Charlotte Pollard. Uh, is a wonderful companion, and to he, and to have an actress flesh out a companion without the aid of visuals, with only her voice and the story, you know, the storytelling to to bring the character together. You feel for her, you understand her background, and she's interesting and complex. And that's a that's a real that's a credit to to the actress and to Big Finish just for for again for attempting to do something like that. And that actually. You know, it opened the door to try other companions and do other things and, and realize that they can make it a success outside of that. Yeah, Lucy was the same way and, and more recently, and um, a lot of people feel the same way about her as well as a strong companion character. And again, this is um, a, a Paul McCann, um, a factor companion, and um, did very well in audio. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I, I know Fairport and Chat mentioned um, the wig, and it should be noted that uh, Paul McGann had shaved his head for a part prior to the t- to the TV movie, and when he came on to the you know the set whatever to do the show to do the movie, they were, <laughs> they were like, "What happened to your hair?" So um, they kind of kind of quickly had to put together a wig together because um, you know they didn't expect him to be shaved and the way he was and uh, um but uh, i mean like i said he needed to do that for a part that he was playing prior to the doctor well it's also funny that the hair uh, sort of this uh this slightly unkept longish hair is it seems to be part of the doctor's image that he's you know thinking a little outside the box a bit a bit of this rebel Mm-hmm. Um, oh, absolutely. And then, and then one doctor later, um, Christopher Eccleston has this short, tight hair, in, in an almost uh, stereotyping, uh, stereotype smashing image. It, Leading into it, it would be great to see Paul McGann now with short hair, saying, "You know, I'm going to cut because my hair it's for a funny, while." Because that's how Paul. That's what Paul McGann looked like prior. You know, that's what he he had this very short hair. And there were, if you ever seen the movie um, With Nail and I, which has two doctors, as uh, Richard E. Grant and uh, Paul McGann in it, and he has his hair very much similar to how we know him as the doctor. And um, so I'm assuming when they casted him, they assumed his hair was going to be similar to how he was wearing it, I guess, at that time period. And um, when it came, when he looked like Christopher Eccleston, you know, before we all knew who Christopher Eccleston was, um, they, they, quickly came up with a wig and um i mean it's okay it's maybe not the best wig in the world but i think it works and i think it you know i i after how many years of doctor who with shaky sets and all that i'm not going to harp on the wig (laughs) 
you know, as long as I mean, he as an actor really pulled off the character, and and that's really what matters. Yeah. Well, we haven't heard from Dave yet, so um, Dave, can you please give us your impression of the Eighth Doctor, Paul McGann? Yeah. Um. I mean, I've watched it uh, again recently, the film, but I mean, uh, my initial reaction was, you know, we'd waited so long for for Doctor Who to reappear. Uh, and and I was quite disappointed with the film, but there are quite a lot of things to take from it. And um, uh, as I said last week, uh, I must be aging out because I I can't keep angry for long. I, I must be mellowing out or something, or chilling out because um, there are lots of good things. First of all, let's start with the real positives. I mean, I think Paul McGann has shown again with the audios that he has got a great. Um, uh, feel for the character of the Doctor, and I think his portrayal is excellent. Um, uh, I didn't like the, as, as Ken has referenced, I didn't like the, um, you know, the, some of the things they actually threw into the mix of the film. You know, the half-human references and <clears throat> and the kiss and so on. But um, uh, it definitely, I like the portrayal. I mean, I think the long hair suited the the, the clothing style that they they've chosen for him. And, and obviously, um, although he didn't appear on any more uh, videos or, or films, uh, long hair is actually quite suitable if you're going to be time travelling because uh, you'll see a awful lot, of, well, I think there's quite a lot of actors that you see in films. I'm thinking of uh, going back to one of my old favourites, uh, Highlander. I'm talking about the TV series now. Uh, having the long hair, was, it meant that when they had all the flashbacks to you know him living his two, 300-year life, um, which was a sort of time travel as such in the way that they showed it. Um, it. It looked entirely suitable to have long hair in lots of different periods of history. So I, I like that long hair look, and I think um, his um, costume and everything was really great. And um, and I think he's carried on uh, superbly well with the audio ones. He's had a good showing of companions. Uh, of course, it was Grace, Grace, Dr. Grace Holloway, in the film, and then, as Kenneth said, um, there was uh, Charlie and Lucy. It was Lucy in that audio clip at the beginning, and there's probably been others, but I haven't listened to them all. The only adventures I've listened to are mainly being from the BBC radio channel called BBC Seven, and that's things like uh, Blood of the Daleks, Phobos, No More Lies, Human Resources, Storm Warning, and today I was re-listening to Sword of Orion with the um, Dalek, uh, not with that, with the Cybermen in it. Um, so there are lots of things, um, and I think we ought to just mention, like Ken did, um, the Seventh Doctor, Sylvester McCoy. It was good that he was in it. He did a good little part. It also established the fact uh, early on to the American viewers that you know that there there were earlier Doctors and there could possibly be future Doctors, and it set him within the, the context of his long life. Um, the other failing, though, for me, apart from the, 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 the half-human, the kiss, was the choice of Eric Robinson, the master. He didn't really work for me. In fact, there's only one, and uh, this is not a personal thing about the actor, but the only good film I've seen Eric Roberts in is one of my absolute all-time favourite films that's not science fiction, and that's called By the Sword, which is is about a, a fencing champion and his protégé. And uh, the other actor in that was actually somebody called F. Murray Abraham. Now, 
from that film, Dinosaur, I would have loved somebody like F. Murray Abraham to have played the master, because I could have seen him being absolutely super in the part. And there was even a young uh, actress in the uh, the film as well called Mayor Sarah. I think that's how you pronounce her name. She'd have made a marvellous companion. But that's me going off on my little flights of fantasies. Um, uh, I quite liked, and I think Merlin was the one who mentioned it in the chat, and hopefully he'll come on audio later, the steampunk uh, realisation of the TARDIS interior that I did think worked very well. I wasn't sure about them opening the Eye of Harmony and so on, but I did actually like the, the interior, the design. And, um, I mean, I think that look has been a bit discredited now from the Will Smith um, um, Wild Wild West or whatever it was. But I think at the time, uh, the steampunk worked really well with that. And um, I liked it. I really liked it a lot. And I've got a feeling, you know, that Russell T. Davis is a, is a fan of the film because I think he's, he's drawn a lot from the, the Eighth Doctor. I mean, um, he again was a youngish Doctor and a very energetic, and I can see that coming out in uh, the way the Tenth Doctor portrays, uh, is portrayed. portrayed. And um, obviously Russell T. Davis thought, you know, it's uh, you know all right for the, the Doctor to have crushes and... Uh, and to introduce the sort of um, relationship side. So I would imagine that Russell T. Davis was probably quite a, a, a fan of the film. Um, I, I would so. like to have seen, uh, before I go on, uh, it's a pity really that Taras isn't with, joined on the forum today because if anybody, uh, and I'm sure most of the people listening in here, do go to the Gallifreyan Forum site, and he's put up uh, a marvellous list of... Um, all the big Finnish audios uh, that anybody uh, could well do with taking a look at. And I'll just put the link up in the chat here while I'm talking to the page. And, um, and of course, he, he lists the McGann ones, and uh, he seems to be quite a fan of them. He's given some of them Immortal Beloved, uh, a 9 out of 10, No More Lies, 9 out of 10, and Human Resources Part 1, 9 out of 10 and the second part eight. So he's obviously a fan of um, the audio adventures with Paul McCann. He's got a very expressive voice, and, um, uh, you know, he's obviously um, relished the fact that he, he's got another chance, another bite at the cherry of being, um, you know, uh, the Doctor. So that's a long intro, and um, perhaps I ought to uh, let you broaden out the uh, the conversation there. And I'm, going to, I'm very interested to see what the Tin Dog says this week because I'm sure this is one broadcast he will be very enthusiastic about. Well, I do want to remind everyone that this is a live show, so please uh, call in. We want to hear your opinions and your take on um, the Eighth Doctor's Paul McGann's error. And you can do that by calling 724-444-7444. And the call... Uh, the call ID number, our podcast ID number, that is, is uh, 23358. That's 23358. And um, I encourage everyone to uh, call. And if you're, you're listening right now, get yourself in the queue. We want to hear from you. So, um, but yeah, just to kind of comment on what Dave had just mentioned. I, I know when the TV movie was um, in production and I first saw the first stills of the Cardis interior, I was a little taken back by it. And because I'm, you know, for so many years I was so used to the 
the um, you know the the white look and the roundels and all that. And when I saw this, I was like, oh my god, what did they do? This is nothing like what the Tardis interior should look like. But um, it's now like one of my favorite Tardis interior looks. I just I just love that whole. Um, I, how did you describe it again, Dave? Steampunk. Um, it was um, at Merlin that did it. That uh, steampunk, I think he calls it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it yeah. worked very well, and it, even and it had that Jules Verne feel to it, and it, it looked functional, even though it had it was retro looking. It, it seemed like everything actually worked though, and it had a function, uh, which I really well, liked. Well, seems and, that uh, Sylvester McCoy changed the desktop theme. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. A little well, time the time crash the tenth Doctor's TARDIS is a little bit that. You see him sort of pumping these handles and cranking these things. So uh, the actual TARDIS console has kept quite a little bit of, uh, well, of I, that. I don't know. The, the, the current console, as good as it is, it does, a lot of the controls on it seem ornamental in my eyes. It doesn't seem like it really has any function. It doesn't seem like it's connected you know, to anything. Lewis and I had this discussion only perhaps a week ago uh, when yeah. we were having lunch together, and he said, you know... I really like the new TARDIS interior, except the console, which, which seems more about looking interesting when David Tennant is running around it. But it actually doesn't look like it does, that, that anything goes on there. Where with the, let's say the John Nathan Turner, uh, the, you know, the post Five Doctors console or some of the ones prior to it, there's actually buttons and levers, and when you, you know you turn something to make something go, and with the exception of the flat screen monitor in the current TARDIS. There's a, a wheels and pumps and things like that. It looks more like some kind of, uh, some kind of, you know, sex toy than it is. A, yeah, a, it seems a, like a hodgepodge of stuff just glued together to make it look good, but without having any, you know, reason behind why it's there and and and, and its functionality and whatever. Where I don't know, in the past the first... you, you could argue the same has been always been done with the TARDIS Council, but I, I think it had more coherence in the past that it just seemed like. It, it had some functionality, and um, you know, every Doctor Who fan will will know where the lever is to open the door in the old <laughs> console. I mean, every single one of us would know if we walked into the TARDIS, we'd know how to open the door. I, in the current one, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. And what was interesting about Time Crash? I think this is what happened. We were talking about Time Crash. Uh, the Fifth Doctor seemed a little bit too. Um, familiar with the council you know when as soon as that that ship took place and if you haven't seen this spoiler alert i shouldn't be saying anything but um (laughs) it's not really giving away too much but he just he uses the tardis console which is the the current incarnation of the tardis interior just as he would his own and he didn't really notice the change until he kind of looked around and noticed that tardis was different so it, it just that seemed a little out of place but um but what's interesting about getting back to Paul McGann and, and, and the possibility of him returning or seeing him again on the, on the small screen or the big screen. <laughs> hey, if you've got, you got a new modern te- uh, day television, it's a big screen now. So, um, but uh, seeing Paul McGann again as the Doctor um, is interesting because we've never seen Paul McGann's The Eighth Doctor regenerate into The Ninth Doctor, whereas all the other Doctors... Okay, maybe not the the sixth to the seventh. You know, we've seen it in the very beginning, but um, we all know how the Doctor was at the end of their regeneration. So when you see multi-Doctor stories like the Five Doctors, and when you see um, John Pertwee's looking much older than he did, you know, at the end of Planet of Spiders, where he regenerated into Tom Baker's, you know, we can just you know use our imaginations and 
give some leeway there. Um, but with with um, the good thing about Paul McGann and not seeing his regeneration is that we don't know what he looked like at the end of his regeneration. So if we see Paul McGann come back as the Eighth Doctor, let's say, you know, we were talking about his hair before, let's say he's all gray now, who's to say that this Doctor didn't grow gray as the, you know, the Eighth Doctor didn't just grow gray and, and that's the way he looks now and, and, you know, we don't know his whole, his breadth of his generation his, before he, he regenerated. We don't know what he looked like with the whole span of it. So it's interesting in that respect that um, Paul McGann could come back anything. almost as, you know, yeah. anything really. Yeah, and as it's saying in the chat, uh, I know Ken can't see the chat, Lewis, uh, a lot of people saying that because, uh, in effect, the, the Eighth Doctor could still be alive, it also means he could take part in any time war scenario. I mean, we, we often think that it would be the Ninth Doctor that, that was featuring solely in that um, because he's the one that, that, that uh, we start the new series with. But in actual fact, uh, it could be a two-parter quite easily with the, the Eighth and Ninth Doctor, and that's some of the things that's been going on in the text. There's your, there's your built-in flashback, too, that if it was the Eighth Doctor in the Time War, David Tennant could be recalling what happened and they could flash back. And you could actually do the Time War as the Doctor Light story if Paul McGann played the Doctor. Yeah, well, that's what I've been arguing yeah. for a while. Yeah. Let me give Russell a call. I'll be right back. <laughs> you don't have to call him. He's listening. Come on, Russell. Oh, that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, you know we always say nice things about you, Russell. <laughs> Well, with an exception of last, the last live show, Dave's comments, just ignore those. <laughs> no, no, we, um, as always, anytime we criticize, we, we do it with, um, with, with a love. passion that we have for the series, and we are very much appreciative of Russell T. Davies of bringing the series back, and, um, you know, but having said that, you know, we, you know, we still would like to speak our minds about it and, and all thoughts are welcome and we this is a platform it's not just our voice it's a platform for all the fans voices um to step up to the plate and let everyone you know let's hear your thoughts and as ken always says this is as much as your show as it is ours so um we want to hear from you so again give us a call it's our number on the live show is 724 that's too many fours, in my four. opinion, but <laughs> that's the number. No, what, what's happening, Lewis, is also people are getting to grips with the new software thing. There's an awful lot going in chat for yes. those people who are listening to the recording. But while we just wait for somebody to pop their head up above the parapet, one thing I did miss out uh, when I was talking is that I didn't like that master creature, uh, the way they got round. Um, it was right at the intro, at the very start, that you played Stay. about the fact that his chance, the, the doctor's... Um, charged with uh, bringing the master back to Gallifrey and it's that little uh, liquid snake type CGI thing. Um, I don't know what Kenny yourself thought about that, but I, I wasn't. I would have rather it almost have been, um, if you ever remember one of the Star Trek ones, I think it was um, uh, one uh, Galaxy 9 or something where they came and, and, and they, uh, they, they, they pointed something at people and they turned into this little um, hexagonical type uh, thing it was just like their basic uh, salts and uh, like a little crystalline form. I would have rather have seen that used. But of course, then of course, I suppose it couldn't have slithered away. But uh, does Ken have any thoughts on on that part of the uh, the film? 
I think that was more of our American influence again. That we that to see if if you remember Keeper of Traken or or uh, Deadly Assassin, where we sort of just know that the essence of the Master has changed bodies. In American TV, I don't think change the the essence thing worked well, and I think that. Um, they they try either a they said well we have these computer special effects we can use now great that's much better than just saying that we shifted bodies or b some maniac in a boardroom somewhere insisted on show me a snake you know I, like, would it be cool would be cool if we had a snake in the movie um, the same way that the Warner Brothers executives wanted Superman to wrestle polar bears so you know it, it we're dealing with idiots. Yeah, it seemed like it was just like we can do this now, so let's do it now. Just it was the sake of okay, we have the technology; we can have done it, in the, you know, in the past in Doctor Who. So now, you know, it's... and and just so you, just so you, in case anybody's wondering, I have no desire to get any jobs in Hollywood. That's why I'm burning all my bridges. <laughs> if um, if if the Eighth Doctor did come back in some special or whatever, and and obviously. Um, it, it would give him a chance to perhaps bring, uh, like they did in the Five Doctors, he, each of the Doctors brought uh, one of their main companions back with them. Uh, who would you pair him with? Uh, would you would you say it would have to be Grace from the film? Or oh, you, think you, I would, prepared... actually, you, you could do any number of things. The door is wide open either to create another companion or um, if if it is Gallifrey, why couldn't Lord President Romana? Be involved. Right. Great way of, of revisiting an older companion or Leela. Was wasn't that done with um, Shada with Ramana? I mean, yes. uh, the Eighth Doctor met Ramana in, in that story. Yes, but not on screen. Oh yeah, no, no, not on screen. <laughs> yeah. and of on course, Gallifrey, when... you have Leela, you have you have Leela, you have Canine, you have Romana, according to the the Big Finish continuity. Um, you have a number of options. Uh, you know, obviously they may, in not wanting to cross the big Finnish uh, characters, you know, not tr- trying to, I don't know right. what the right situations are or whatever. Uh, you could put Paul McGann in a time war with, with anybody who's from the past who's established as being part of Gallifrey, or just do something fresh. I, I really, I, I wouldn't even. Well, that's what's great about Paul McGann. Actually, being in the show, I could care less what they did as long as they brought him into it. Well, again, yes. since we haven't seen him on screen except for that one story, and, and yes, there's all those audio adventures, but um, you could bring a whole new companion to light, you know, with Paul McGann's doctor, you know, someone else that he's met on his travels. That because we well, have it would be great if they just jumped right into it. And well, that's what I mean. Yeah, treated it as if we, that companion had been there for exactly. Years. That's exactly what I'm saying. That was that's what You'd I was getting. You'd have to have someone very dynamic though that could. You'd have to, their chemistry would have to be in mm-hmm. there, already in place. <laughs> sort of warm into the chemistry, it wouldn't work. Yeah. yeah. And of course, the Ninth Doctor, when we started the new series, didn't have a companion. So, I mean, we'd have to assume that it, it would be more likely that the Eighth Doctor, if, if we assume that obviously the Eighth Doctor is around before the Time War starts, maybe during it, and that um, we don't know whether the, the very fact that. Um, when the Ninth Doctor's, you know, the one that um, uh, finished the war off, uh, you don't know whether he actually finished it off in the body of the Eighth Doctor, as it were, and, well, and that brought about his um, regeneration. 
yes, perhaps as a result of the time war, some, some traumatic event forced that regeneration. That was my assumption always. I, I mean, it can be argued one way or the other. When you see the episode Rose, the first episode of, of the 2005 series, and he first looks in the mirror and makes a comment about, you know, he wiggles his, you know, flicks his ears or whatever, and it looks like he's seeing himself for the first time after being regenerated. So I, you know, this, again, this can be, you can open up a can of worms, people can argue one way or the other, but um, I, I see that more or less that maybe he regenerated in his previous adventure, and maybe that was the end of the time war, or I, I just figured maybe the events of the time war triggered off the regeneration, um, and perhaps he had his hands full. Well, we've discussed this once before. It's, it's kind of iffy, because he, he does the wiggling the ears, and he does that whole I'm the new doctor bit with the whole definite improvement kind of thing. But then he also is pictured in the episode um, leading the, you know, talking with the family boarding the Titanic, which clearly happens before Rose. Well, so, we don't know that. It he, could happen after the, the after it could happen in the it could happen after that Rose episode and Rose is just isn't in that picture. I don't know. I don't buy that. Well, it's anything's possible. It's wiggly woggly <laughs> wiggly wiggly timey timey whatever. I can't give that quote. <laughs> you know how time is. <laughs> well, he's he's pictured on Krakatoa by himself. He's pictured with the family going on the on the Titanic by himself. Well, who's taking the picture? Other... Maybe it's Rose taking the picture, or maybe it's uh, Martha. I don't know. I don't know. I don't buy it. Okay, it can't be Martha. Wrong, wrong companion for the doctor. <laughs> it has to be Rose. Okay, it could be Mickey. Mickey. <laughs> yeah, but uh, the other thing when I I had my little bit, uh, I, I thought that um, Russell T Davis must have been a fan of the Eighth Doctor. You know the the yeah. the the, uh, the way it was done. Do you feel as though the, the, I think the, he the says, Tenth Doctor's he, he quite? He comes out and says that in one of the confidentials, yeah, one of the early confidentials. I think, um, mm-hmm. like when they were bringing the TV series back to television, it may not have been recalled Doctor Confidential at the time. It was, um, but it was made by the same confidential people that do Doctor Confidential. Um, he I mentioned think... when they were casting Christopher Eccleston that he, they, you know, they were considering what, you know, what do they do about the regeneration or the Paul McGann thing, and, and he mentions that he, he re- you know, he enjoyed, enjoyed Paul McGann's portrayal. Yeah. He was, he was very complimentary of Paul McGann. Mm-hmm. And. Um, but, yeah. but, and when but we Russell's see in human nature that that you know the eighth doctor is validated, you know, for those that that the minority of those that still argue that it's he's not canon or whatever, he definitely is because um, we st- he's the most prominent image in um, that diary that the, the doctor's keeping um, in the, the human um, um, human nature story. Hmm. But Russell's always been very open to to. Almost all of the Doctor Who um, uh, visuals, that's the best way I can put it, the, the, the movie or television medium, because he's, we know that he's influenced by the Peter Cushing movies as well. And, you know, he's very inclusive when it comes to things. He takes what he believes is the best from everything. That He believes that he, things like the Paul McGann movie, although sometimes maligned by the fans, that there are things in there to be appreciated and that have worth. And then the same thing goes for, you know, Dalek's Invasion of Earth 2150 and, and Doctor Who and the Daleks, the two Cushing movies. There's something of worth in there. If there is, he's extracted it out. 
and and that's to his credit. I mean, he's a when when people say he's a big Doctor Who fan or he's a Doctor Who geek, he certainly is. You know, he's a guy who grew up reading the comics, I'm sure, and had the annuals and watched all the shows and went to the movies as a kid to see those movies. Good for him. Well, yeah, I mean, we've got to admit in the whole uh, current series, not just him, but I mean, I was re-watching um, uh, The Family of Blood uh, only a couple of days ago, and uh, like when you said, Lewis, when it was first aired about it mentioning Verity Lambert and, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the names and the lots of little uh, things, and then, of course, in Gridlock, we had the... Uh, the, the reappearance of a, an old monster and things like that. So he must have a, an encyclopedic knowledge of the show. And he, I mean, where he doesn't seem to, to, to feel as though he has to um, pander to the fans in the general storyline and where he takes the Doctor, in, in these little small, he'll throw us little tidbits, won't he? And, he, and in that way, um, he, he, there are a lot of, I mean, I would imagine everybody either listening to this podcast now or listening to it later will remember things when they've been um, watching a Doctor episode and they've just smiled to themselves. And they might be sitting with three or four people in the room and, and, and the people in the room might be thinking, why has he got an inane grin on his face? But it's because he's just said something or there's just been a reference back to something in, you know, a little a little tick goes off in your head and, you know... Yes, you know, and, and um, those are little rewarding uh, pellets of uh, nuggets of gold that he, 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 he gives out. Well, what's nice as an example, and it's a, the proof that, that he is, um, that he's a Doctor Who geek, is that something like the Macra, the Macra is well known as not only being a missing episode, but there are very few, if any, photographs of the Macra monster. And he says, I'm going to take a monster that, that you know, unfortunately, is, has been lost to the the short-sightedness of the BBC, and give it a little love. Find a way of putting it in the new show, and 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 have you know, bringing it back to life a bit in a in a non there's an old monster coming back kind of way. It was just a you know just a, a little little Nod, bit, and yeah, it was in the background. Enough. Yeah, yeah. I, I I thought that worked very well. Thank you. Another thing about the film, if I can, I mean, we are waiting for for people to pop in the queues, but uh, I mean, I think there's lots of things still to talk about. I mean, in particular, I think one of the things that the film suffered from a little bit was the fact that um, the timing of it, I mean, obviously, I wouldn't have wanted them to delay it, but uh, for those uh, people old enough to remember, uh, as we were approaching the year 2000, 2001, People were talking about, um, you know, all the computers crashing and uh, they wouldn't be able to have a, uh, yeah, that's right, the Millennium Software bug, because uh, for those who didn't know, um, most computers from earlier days um, uh, would only record the last two years, wouldn't they? So it would be 01 up to 1946, up to 76, up to, but when it got to 99, uh, it would revert to zero zero, and some computers might confuse that date with 1900, not the year 2000. And of course, it, this is deep, buried in deep in the machine code. It's not the actual high-level languages that uh, you or I interface with our computers, but this is right down at the binary level. And it also meant, though, that um, virtually everything creatively being done around that time, are that they knew would be coming out at that time, had to feature. Uh, you know uh, the events leading up to 
the 2000s because again there was a lot of confusion i always thought that the new century started uh, in 2001 because the year 2000 was the last year of the old century yeah the millennium began 2001 exactly but the the technicalities of that don't really matter so much now the whole point was it did mean that the doctor who was one of any number of programs that were going out about that time where the the millennium was like the major theme uh, running through the movie, the background story, if you will, which probably mean, meant that it was a, gave it a bit of a sameness to some of the other TV movies that, that, that were probably going out in, the, in the America at the time. So it's a pity, really, that um, his only one story was set on Earth and, of course, was very much set in the present day i mean it was set in the in in the very yeah, week a few weeks uh, yeah so i mean he was very tight uh, they were very tied down in the how, how they had to um pan out the story and it's a pity in that sense that his only um outing on screen uh you know couldn't have been a historic story uh, from the far future uh, let's bang that old drum again, Lewis, on an alien world. <laughs> I mean, that's what we really want. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and I, and I think, yes, that, that there were, in the, in the late, mid to late 90s, it was all about the millennium and the new century and all these things. That was a focus of, of many, many endeavors, you know, creatively. And it, perhaps it did suffer from being one of many Oh God! What happens when the year 2000 rolls around? Um, the the thing that that worked with that though is that it, it was in the near future, so visually everything could be kind of the same. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it was only pro- it was, was projecting a itself what four years into the future, or three and a half, yeah. whatever it was. You know, the the 60s Doctor Who's uh, and, and early 70s the, the Troughton and the Pertwees unit was always supposed to be in the 80s. It was okay. always a few years in advance. So the technology, they could get away with walkie-talkies that worked way better than they ever did in 1968. Um, things like that. Uh, they, they could, well, oh, well, this is the new computer. that we're using. This is a new advanced computer. Um, and they could get away with a few things like that, but they could still just drive Jeeps because they mm-hmm. didn't know that something else would be you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the line. Another it, thing it worked, to add Oh. The, the thing that I, that I also thought, from an outside point of view, that the movie suffered is in, in the United States it went up against um, uh, uh, Roseanne, Roseanne Barr's television show at the time, which was a huge hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the scheduling-wise, it was in the middle of sweeps. But it was also it was shown on, it was a Monday night, I believe, uh, Monday or Tuesday. And yeah, in the month it of May. Was, it was in the month of May. And Doctor Who, although the current show airs, you know, April to July, uh, to me, Doctor Who was always a, a wintertime kind of thing, especially at the anniversaries in November. Um, you know, you're, you're hunkered down, waiting for the winter to pass, and you watch Doctor Who, and it's cold out, and can't be, you can't wait to be home and watching television. I think the show might have been, I think the movie may have been better suited if it aired in the February rating sweeps, uh, in a little bit colder weather when young people especially who would be attracted to that show aren't oh you know in may i weather is warm you're anxious to go out you're anxious to go do things get a little spring fever 
Um, it's almost like yeah. a Christmas special. We're so used to the Christmas specials now that you know we had three of them so far, and this was a New Year special, if you will. It was, um, it, it, you know, it's the first and, to my knowledge, only Doctor Who story that really kind of dealt with the changing of a year. You know, going through the, well, new well, they, they were calling calling it the new millennium at the time. And actually, it may have been it may have been uh, better suited to air in the week between Christmas and yeah. New Year's, even though that is traditionally a bad time for for television ratings. I think the I think it would it there were, there there could have been um, we could have been luckier in the airing. I think we we as Doctor Who fans we hit a time where it was just the timing was awful that movie to air yeah and the thing is unfortunately i mean i remember you know a few years back i mean anything that was had the year 2000 in it seemed pure futuristic but of course they actually you know nailed the put a nail in their own coffins in that respect because i mean now if you ever i mean if you ever look in a phone book or a telephone directory or whatever it's called in the states and you look up you know and it's uh, you know technology 2000 you think, well, that's so old hat. You know, I mean, you know, I want, I want technology, ten, uh, you know, 2010. So um, really, the, 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 it had a very short sell-by date in, in that sense. But on the other hand, I suppose the idea was to try and capture a wave uh, of feeling and, and there was um, a lot riding on the... I mean, I'm sure, I mean, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm sure there must have been some cults somewhere in, not necessarily America, I don't want to pick on America, but there must have been some cults there, you know, saying that the world was doomed at that time. Well, of and, course um, the world was doomed. The next one is 2010, <laughs> and they just keep pushing this off. So the Earth does one thing very well. It rides out all these maniacs. Yeah, yeah we yeah. may be gone. The Earth will still be around. <laughs> yeah. Right. The only, uh, one of the like things, George Collins says, the only the only people going anyplace are us. That's right. We're the only ones leaving. The Earth will be yeah. around long after us. Absolutely. One thing that amazed uh, recently, Lewis, is the fact that um, I wouldn't have thought Eric Roberts as being. I mean, this is all great due to him, uh, a sort of a convention goer. But I believe and you probably know a lot more than this than I do. That, that is he just turned up for one convention, or is he is he actually no, now on the circuit as he was? He did Chicago TARDIS. He did Gallifrey last year. He's, uh, I don't know, maybe the, the Cinemax movie of the week thing is, is not working out the way he thought it was, or maybe he's just genuinely into it. I think, I think just about any actor who, um, you know, who's just making a, making a living doing acting, which I believe he is. I don't, you know, I don't foresee him as being a, I don't see him as being a, a multimillionaire, but I could be wrong. I'm not his accountant. Um, you know, he gets an opportunity to go speak about a, a role he played or whatever, and people are willing to pay him to go do that. And it's a free weekend in Chicago or whatever. You know, uh, why wouldn't you go? I yeah, solely just solely just putting the facts. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see why you know multi-millionaire actors, uh, you know, the, the the George Clooney's of the world, why they don't need to go do a convention, let's say. But I could see, you know, a, a jobbing actor saying, well, it's a couple of bucks. Sure, I'll do it. Yeah, sorry to talk over you then, Ken. Um, I was just sold you to put in the text, and I know you That's can't see the text at the moment. Yeah, but he did the uh, cruise. Mm-hmm. And that, cruise. Uh, oh, no, he did the cruise last year, right. Mm-hmm. Right, right. But he's still getting lots of work, and uh, like the next Batman or something, so it's not like he needs the money. 
I didn't know he was in the new Batman. That's excellent. There's one heck of a cast in this uh, Dark Knight movie. Well, I want to thank those that are participating in our chat. Um, they, 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 um, Nobody wants their my, voices on record. Well, they um, jogged my memory a little bit in places that um, when I was having these brain farts. Um, it's wibbly wobbly timey wibbly. Uh, thank you, um, Doggy448 and Renegade Time Lord. And uh, Merlin pointed out the book that I was referencing, uh, the journal that I was referencing in Human Nature was called The Book of Impossible Things. So anyway, I want to thank those that are in chat. And when we do these live shows, um, yes, you can participate in chat as well. It's if you go to talkshoot.com and you can, uh, or you can, uh, yeah, well, yeah, you want to go to talkshoot.com and um, join in on the chat there when we're doing the live shows. If, um, and we always encourage you to call in um, and participate, put yourself in the queue and um, let us know what you want to hear. Um, we haven't had any uh, callers this show, and maybe, I don't know, it's, uh, maybe because Paul McGann only had one story, and it was uh, at least one televised story, that is. And um, But we do encourage you um, to participate. In two weeks, we'll be back, and we'll be uh, reviewing, well, we'll be up to the ninth doctor now, um, uh, Christopher Eccleston. So um, hopefully Lewis. a lot of people participating in that one. Yeah, Dave? Well, if, if nobody's coming to the chat and, um, uh, and you feel as though it's coming towards the end, uh, is it possible to just ask Ken if he, um, he had to bow out of the Voyage of the Damned podcast, the last live show, and he, sure. he said that he was going to catch up with it himself. I wondered if he was surprised with some of the, the varying views that people had, because he was very enthusiastic about it. And he may well have heard that, um, not to pick on Tin Dog podcast, now he's gone, but myself and he... he uh, we're a little bit down on it, on it in parts, and I wondered if you had a chance to hear that podcast yet. And no, I haven't what actually think? caught up on it, and, and I, I can understand. I, I've been reading some of the the, um, the varying reviews on that. I, you know, like I said, my my review on it was was very straightforward in that I, I and and in, in hindsight, I understand that there are people who took it to task, but I just believe as a Christmas episode, as a, an episode that was trying to appeal, to have the most, the, the broadest appeal it could possibly have. I think from that point of view, it worked. Um, but from a, 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 a Doctor Who, um, from a, a hardcore fan point of view, I can understand where, uh, you know, people who are serious fans, like the people that are, that are here, there are things that we would not like. You know, there are things about it that are just, well, okay, yeah, they did this, you know. Um, so I, I, as a te- as a piece of television, I think it worked very well. As a piece of family television, I think it worked very well. From a Doctor Who point of view, I can understand where there are some issues. Right. Yeah. Because I know that you know Lewis, uh, you know, said that he, although I know his his take on it was that it was a little too Poseidon adventure, you know. Yeah. Uh, I- you know, I, I understand perhaps it's a nod to the Poseidon Adventure, but it just seemed to, you know. And again, you could argue the same with many classic television, uh, classic Doctor Who stories. Maybe um, were too much um, in the mold of, of established stories that preceded it. But um, I well, guess I was I was just hungry for a new adventure and you know something new that I hadn't seen before. And what I got was something that I had seen before. 
I mean, it was still enjoyable, mm-hmm. but it was just something that I've really seen before. The legendary Terrence Dick said, all you need in television is an original idea. It just doesn't necessarily have to be your original idea. I think anyone's, like, uh, many probably, you know, today's viewers are, you know, has a, a good percentage of youth watching it, and they may not have seen the press side of Adventure, and, and this would be well, fantastic. Well, they might have seen one of the 16 remakes of it. <laughs> well, perhaps, yes, hmm. that's right. <laughs> Some 10 years ago, just a little over 10 years ago, Titanic came out, and then everybody said, let's sink a ship. And they made Britannic, and they made Lusitania, and they made the Poseidon Adventure remake, and then they made Poseidon. And, yeah, so the whole ship-sinking thing became fab. Yeah, it just was a bit too close. But, again... And even, you know, they did... There's been references to the Titanic and Doctor Who past. I liked the fact that they didn't go aboard the actual ship. They figured out a way to do the Titanic without actually touching the history of the actual ship, uh, that there, you know, those things are still left. Uh, well, again, that was, uh, and that's a Douglas Adams thing as well. Um, uh, the Starship Titanic, you mean? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, it was the, the references to, you know, with the, the him ascent, where, where they had the bit where the Doctor ascended with an angel on either side of him, and one or two other references that to, to me, and, and, and the silliness with the Queen, but hopefully, you, you, as everybody else here will, if they haven't already listened to that, they'll get to it soon. Uh, if I may, Lewis, while I'm just on the on the uh, chat, uh, the CIA podcast that was going to follow this one and still will do, I was going, I, I'd set it to start at three o'clock, uh, which is if we are finishing shortly, and I'm, obviously, if you're happy to talk longer, I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm wondering whether I might bring it forward to say half to now, um, and um, that will still give people, you know, a bit of a, uh, or maybe perhaps 22 might be better, give people a, a sort of 15 minute break, and then uh, I can always at least start it at quarter to three, and then if there's not many people have turn up, I won't press the record button as such until three o'clock. So if you don't mind me just saying that, CIA. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna remind you anyway to let everyone know about the CIA podcast. It's um, a great um, roundtable discussion, open forum, um, lively chat. You know, and I, I really enjoy it. So, go ahead. Okay. Give, give, give the plug. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tell so, people how to find so it. we'll do that then. If if people listening here, uh, I'll uh, hopefully be able to. Uh, Get on as Wes and, and, and reschedule it to probably start at, say, quarter to the three or 20 to three. But we may, depending on how many people appear in the rooms, we may hang on till nearer to three to actually start the recording button. But um, uh, well, I've got a feeling okay. if we wait too long, people have just disappeared off and got on with their lives. Just to fill in, fill in everyone, it's the, it's the CIA podcast. I think it's currently called CIA We Are Not Linda. <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> And you can find it um, on TalkShoe, and the the talk the the, the TalkShoe ID number is three zero six five nine. So I encourage you to um, to join in on that. Uh, I'll see if I can um, um, manage my schedule to chime in a bit there on today's show if I can. Yeah, I uh, and what we're talking about is science fiction's influence on technology. 
uh, dating back from Star Trek sliding doors all the way to minority reports, you know, the hand gestures controlling computers, even Dick Tracy and his radio watches, I suppose. Um, but that's the starting point. Where we'll end up, no one knows. We, we do have um, Fairport on, um, on our, um, in the queue, so we're going to... Oh, have, excellent. Uh, yes. And uh, Ramada, <clears> too, <throat> as well. <laughs> okay, here we go. Um, and I'm, again, I'm forgetting... I know Fairport's name, but I'm, he's going to remind me when I get him. Jay. Thank Jay. You. <laughs> no, why? Jay? Hello? Hello. Are you there, um, my friend? <laughs> um, I, I am here. I'm so sorry for calling in so late. Um, no, that's okay. I, it's better late than never. We've been stalling, waiting for you to come. <laughs> I was uh, lazily finishing up my uh, bowl of Lucky Charms, so uh, I am They're now magically here. delicious. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, as a huge fan of Big Finish, I'm I'm always excited when I know there's going to be a Paul McGann story coming up. Um. As a matter of fact, um, just before the podcast, I was re-listening to The Natural History of Fear. And I I don't know if anybody's actually listened to this particular audio, but um, McGann delivers, is asked to deliver this four-minute monologue as as a character who may or may not be the doctor. I don't particularly want to give anything away. And um, it's four minutes of, of, of this, amazing, convoluted, um, over-the-top, you know, his character is is completely unhinged at this point, and he does it with such panache, with such ease. Um, So much has been said about uh, David Tennant's um, acting in, uh, what is it, uh, Human Nature? Um, But quite honestly... um, I strongly urge people to listen to this particular um, audio drama and, and see that McGann did it about two and a half years earlier. Um, once again, I don't want to give anything in the plot. But um, I, I What's think the name still, of it again? The, the, name, the, name the Natural of the History of Fear. Ah, okay. Actually, if, if nobody, um, if, if you haven't listened to any of the Paul McGann audios before, I wouldn't recommend starting there. Um, mm-hmm. Many of the, the McGann audio dramas... Uh, I wouldn't say they're experimental, um, but it's it's certainly not easy listening as well. I, I would probably suggest starting out with some of the BBC Seven um, McGann, Sheridan Smith audios. Yeah, they're very good. They're 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 excellent. They're a bit more traditional. They'll certainly ease you into um, the audio format if you're not used to it. Um, but and I their think, running length is similar to the television series. They were like 42 minutes an episode, right? Absolutely. And, and they, um, it's been said before, and I completely agree, I, I think that series of audios, um, I, don't, I don't think it was running concurrently with, with the um, Tenant series, but I, I do think it rivaled anything that was being shown on television at the time. Um, mm-hmm. They're absolutely fantastic to listen to. Um, I, w- I would say probably start with you know, with the very first story, Blood of the Daleks, and, and go all the way through Human Resources. It's it's um, it's a great ride. Sheridan Smith um, is a uh, is a great companion. I offhand I can't think of the name of her character. Uh, Lucy Miller. Lucy Miller. That is correct. Yeah, it's a um, good series. It's um, I I recommend it as well. 
I, I just think I think we're very fortunate to have a, an actor of McGann's caliber. I, I actually think he's one of the the finest actors of our age. Uh, you know, pretty much when I heard, you know, uh, when he was taking the helm and, um, you know, someone like Christopher Eccleston, once I knew he was taking the helm, I knew we were in good hands. And um, mm. thankfully I was proven right on both both occasions. And um, But I, I promise to keep this short. Um, like everybody else, um, I would like to say that I, I really hope that Paul McGann um, gets his time, you know, in the TARDIS on television, uh, at least for one story. Uh, personally, I would love to see him do uh, an entire series of stories. Um, he has certainly earned it. Um, so I, I don't know what the future holds, but... Um, and, and uh, you know, let me just pause you for one second. This is also mm-hmm. not a knock on David Tennant. It's just that we feel that, that Paul McGann has been slighted. Oh, completely. As I you know, said, he's, 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 it okay. just happens to be that the you know the show is going into this um, this this pause where there's just going to be a few tele movies and and they're going to take a, a a brief hiatus with you know some things thrown in. And we're, what we're saying as fans is that this is an opportunity to do something a little bit different. That if if um, David Tennant does need some time, or as Lewis had suggested, a Doctor Light situation. If there's a doctor that fans would really like to see get his his uh, his you know his due, then Paul McGann's our pick. You know Tom Baker is alive and well, but he did seven seasons, and Peter Davison we got a little a little taster of with the the Children in Need, and uh, you know McCoy and 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 uh, Colin Baker while they were cut their runs were cut short, Paul McGann was cut the shortest of them all. Absolutely. To the point where we hardly have any Paul McGann. Uh, Can I just jump in there, Jay? Um, If you listen to a lot of these, I've just put in the text. Didn't um, Paul McGann's son appear uh, in in one of the audio plays? They they needed somebody to play a small part, and uh, he was on hand, and he did a couple of lines, and then they, I think they expanded the part. I'm not sure whether it was Phobos or... Um, He was definitely in one of them. Was it Immortal Beloved or... Um... Immortal Beloved. I think that's where he plays the god. Of, that's the one with the uh, Zeus and things in, is it? I believe so, yeah. If, if yeah, I, I think it's that. Uh, so Paul McGann's... I'm not sure of his first name, but um, he appears in uh, uh, one of the audios, which is nice because uh, if we can jump in with the uh, the, the other doctor, Peter Davidson, uh, we're hoping to, and I hope this isn't a spoiler, uh, have... Uh, uh, his daughter joined yeah. in the cast. I've also heard the yeah the rumors that um, what she might also even be a compa- well no I, th- I I think that's been squashed. I could be wrong, but Scot- yeah, I think they squashed that. Well, it would be very interesting, to say the least. All right, well, thank you, Jay. We're going to have um, Ramana two next up. Thanks again, Jay. Thanks, guys. Talk to you later. Take care. Hello, Romano 2. Samantha, that is. Hello. Hello, can you hear me? Hello. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you're a little fuzzy, but we hear you. Okay. But you're coming through eSpace, right? You, you have to tra- That's the path that your voice has to take. Yes. Anyway, hello, Samantha. 
Um, can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Oh, sorry, I'm just a little bit weird at the moment. Um, yes, um, I have no knowledge of The Eighth Doctor whatsoever, having not seen the movie or read any of the books. So it's not going to be too insightful, but I thought I'd give a little bit of a feedback anyway, seeing as no one else is. Um, the little I have seen of him, I've really liked, which has been in like little you know, confidentials and specials and trailers and things, but I like his look and the way he plays it. And listening to the others here makes me really want to seek out his stuff a lot more. Um, I do have a book of his. I got it for free, I think, from a friend of mine. So I might start reading that. I don't know. Um, what else to say about him? Uh, I would love for him to come back in a multi-doctor story with the ninth and tenth. I think that one would be really good. That would make some really good television in there. But, um, yes, um, what can I say? I don't really know much about him, so. Well, I hope we have encouraged you to actually yeah. uh, check oh, him yeah. out, because um, yeah. I, th- I hope that, that that's been the thrust of the people listening, that uh, we do mm-hmm. feel he's been an underrated doctor, and perhaps a lot of people listening haven't discovered him through the audio yeah. adventures yet, and that is really yeah. something to check out. <laughs> Yeah, it's because I'm mostly a new series fan. I'm only just starting to get into the classic stuff now. That kind of been the last one I haven't seen any of. I've seen a bit of every Doctor except for him. So that's the next step, I think. I have to get that movie. I don't know how I can get it. Seeing as it's not on video or DVD anywhere. So I don't know. There's other ways. But yes... Um, and I think as well, if you watch the film, you'll 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 see that he's got a good, strong companion in Dr. Grace Holloway, yeah. which... Yeah, yeah I, I feel like I'm not... about her, yeah. 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 Mm. So I think that's all for me. Can't be that insightful, considering I haven't seen anything, but I will be back for the next few podcasts, and I'll have a lot to say. Trust me, a lot to say. Well, we appreciate <laughs> it. Thank you for being yeah. part of the show. No worries. See you guys. All right, cheers. Bye. Right. Well, I think that's going to wrap things up for our Paul McGann Eighth Doctor Error um, podcast. And um, I want to thank everyone that participated. Um, Ken, Dave, any final words? Well, two things, firstly. Um, one, if I may, um, it's it's just going past the half two here. Um, the, the CIA is scheduled for three, but it, it will automatically kick in at 10, 15 minutes before that. So I think I might just leave it there and, and assume that people can have a, a 15, 20 minute break. Poor Emily can go to the toilet and uh, we can uh, re- reconvene then. And secondly... For, for, the, um, for those that don't know, that was mentioned in chats. Because <laughs> you're saying that out of the blue. Yeah, yeah, I'm, not, the I'm, not privy, yeah I'm not privy to anything else. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is... Um, uh, is it a fortnight before the next live one? Or have you got the the um, the um, thing that you're going to the in Las Vegas uh, in Los Angeles? Sorry. No, no that's, so that's that's another. another that's a good month away. So yeah, we'll we'll be back in two weeks for um, for Christopher Eccleston, the the ninth Doctor, and then um, and then two weeks after that, it's right on the cusp of um, of Gallifrey, um, you know, 2008. So. We'll do David Tennant and probably a Gallifrey preview. Right. And is uh, Zoe going to come to our a screen near you soon, anytime? Well, I don't know if you, if, I don't know about our screen, but hopefully to a um, audio device near you. We're 
in post-production of episode 100, but it's such a mammoth show that it may have to be um, chopped up into two parts. And to, to um, and otherwise, we're going to have like this um, mega episode. Not only that, it will be too long for people to listen to, but it's going to be too long to edit. <laughs> so, oh, um, I know now what you're going to do, Liz. You're going to, I've been listening to an hour of it, and I'm just getting it all built up for Zoe to come on, and then you'll have a cliffhanger, won't you? You'll do a cliffhanger no. on me. We're going to have to keep you coming back, don't we? (laughs) And um, uh, a couple of quick reminders is that, of course, Gallifrey uh, 2008, the 19th 19th version of of Gallifrey is coming up uh, February 15th, 16th, 17th at the Los Angeles Airport Marriott. And Lewis and I will be in attendance. And uh, we'll be doing uh, some really exciting things from the convention. Uh, we will be recording a pod shock at the convention, as well as some. Uh, we've been discussing how we can work some some updates that will be going out over the course of that weekend for those who, who can't make it to the convention. So yeah, make sure you watch our website. We're going to have um, updates as we're as we're there. You know, live updates. Uh, and of course is. Uh, www.podshock.net or gallifreyandembassy.org and I will uh, be updating the MySpace page which is www.myspace.com slash Doctor Who Podshock. So we'll have hopefully some photos or some audio updates and whatever we can whip up. We're gonna, uh, we have internet access at the hotel room so um, we'll be doing some, some fun stuff that weekend. And also a reminder that uh, April 5th, 6th, 7th, I believe, 2008 is, of course, Icon at SUNY uh, Stony Brook, New York. And, of course, Lewis and I will be in attendance there as well. And uh, please fire off an email. Their, their website um, is on in our link section. Please fire off an email and suggest a Doctor Who guest. There's still time for that. Yeah, right now they have no sauce. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a Doctor Who guest uh, on budget. It, it, it really is quite embarrassing. They've got Lewis and I as Doctor Who guests, so that's yeah. really you, you, quite honestly you can't get any lower end than that when you think about it. <laughs> oh boy! Hey, if we feed these guys, they'll show up. <laughs> for the love of for the love of Gallifrey, get someone, please. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, yeah, definitely. Thank you, Ken, for uh, reminding everyone about our appearances and um, and also the exciting Gallifrey 2008, the 19th Gallifrey um, Symphony, I think it's called, um, in, um, in also, February. So. Uh, I also believe that United FanCon is changing location in 2008. I've heard. I've heard that as well. They are going from Springfield to Boston, but I haven't confirmed that, uh, you know, directly. That's coming from another source. Mm-hmm. But apparently, that they are they're going to attempt to have the convention in Boston in hopes of attracting more people. So um, that's just what I've heard. So we'll see what well, happens. So it so means a little longer trip a, for us, though. It is a longer trip for us, yes. But but if it means the convention is more successful. Then of course you know if it's that or the convention, um, the convention coming to an end, which would not be beneficial for anybody, that would be a, a, quite a loss. Uh, 
Yeah, we had a good time last time, um, and that's um, certainly did. Yeah, and I and I want to make a mention you know, with 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 United FanCon, with Icon, with Gallifrey, uh, with Chicago Tardis, amongst many of the conventions. Keep your independent conventions alive. It's very important that we go out. Um, there are a few. Uh, there's one or two multimedia, mega million dollar convention companies out there that do conventions the way you know Pepsi pumps out soda, and and they're not in the fans' best interest. They're in profits' best interest. So when you have an independent convention that are there for the fans and there for for our enjoyment, we have to support them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the United FanCon is uh, by fans, for fans, and the same thing goes, with, obviously, with the Gallifrey conventions in L.A. So um, it definitely, the passion is there, the love is there, and that's evident in the show itself. It's put together. I mean, everyone's there in the United Corps, and, um, and, and it reflects the fans that are there. You know, it's, it's a much more enjoyable experience. All right, well... Um, I think that's going to wrap things up for today's show. Once again, I want to thank all those that participated, and um, we'll be back in the, with our live show in two weeks. And um, if you're subscribed to our regular feeds, uh, you'll get the you'll get these shows after post production. But you also get our studio shows as well. So you want to make sure you go to thegallifreyembassy.org or podshock.net and subscribe um, to our regular feed so that you get those shows as well. We're in the midst of our, uh, post-production of our hundredth episode and, uh, we want to get that out. Um, 100 we, mega episodes. Yeah, yeah. Mega episodes. So we want to get that out to you, uh, as quickly as possible. So we may have to do that in parts and, um, that will be coming out shortly and until then, but, um, come back in two weeks for the live show. We'll see you then. Thank you everyone. You have been listening to Doctor Who Podshock by the fan-run GallifreyandEmbassy.org and presented by Outpost Gallifrey at GallifreyOne.com. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Come back next week for another exciting and informative episode of Doctor Who Podshock. You can email us at feedback at podshock.net. Here's what our cameras in Hawaii I love humans. Well, we All of us seeing patterns and things that aren't there.